The Chicago Bears started OTAs this week, which will start to give us some early answers to the biggest storylines around this team and positional battles set to take place this summer. You are Locked On Bears, your daily Chicago Bears podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is Locked On Bears, and I'm your host, Lauren Cox. I'm here to bring you your daily, in-depth Chicago Bears news and analysis. You can follow me on Twitter at CoxSports1. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Lockdown Bears. You can, you can follow Lockdown Bears on Facebook or join the Lockdown Bears Facebook group for even more Bears talk. Just make sure you hit that subscribe button on the Lockdown Bears YouTube channel so you can keep up with all of our video podcasts as well. Thanks for making Lockdown Bears your first listen today. We're part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day, and we especially love our everydayers that tune in five days a week. On the show today, we preview some of the biggest questions and position battles going forward at OTAs now that will continue through mandatory minicamp and into training camp. It'll kind of set the stage for some of the things on the roster that the Bears still need to figure out. You know, not so much like, well, what will they do with outside options, but more, okay, here's some of the guys they have at the positions. What's going to happen with those guys? It'll kind of lay down the, the groundwork for what is ahead this year. A couple of starting spots still up for grabs and some really key spots on the depth chart. Top contributing backups that will play a role in some way, shape, or form that need to start, you know, separating out who's going to be the guy to take that role. And I always think it's interesting to start looking at, at OTAs and this idea of competition. It's something that we hear Ryan Poles say over and over again, Matt Eberflus, they want to create a lot of competition on the roster. And they sort of say, right, that, you know, everyone has to earn their job every year, that every position really is a competition. But we also know that not every player is really, truly, you know, competing. Not every spot is truly up for grabs, you know, like they signed Tremaine Edmonds to a five-year bajillion dollar contract. He's not competing for the middle linebacker spot in this defense, right? It's not an open competition between him and Dylan Cole or whoever at linebacker. It's, it's his job. He still has to work. You know, if he stopped trying, he could lose that spot, I suppose, but it's not like a true competition, right? It reminds me of you know, George Orwell's Animal Farm, right? They said all animals are created equal, and then eventually they add, but some animals are more equal than others. That, that's kind of what it feels like. You know, there's there's certain positions on this roster. Justin Fields is not competing for his job. You know, you're not really seeing Nate Davis, the right guard they signed as a free agent, compete for his job. DJ Moore doesn't really have to compete to be a number one wide receiver. I think Edmonds and Edwards, the two linebackers, are not really competing for their jobs. Jalen Johnson, Jaquan Brisker, Eddie Jackson not really competing for their jobs. They're not, you know, they're they're in the more equal category. If all the players are are treated equally, but some players are treated more equally than others. I'm really curious though how the rookies will be treated this season and and whether or not that treatment or or the, these OTAs specifically and whether or not that treatment perhaps varies by or how much it varies by what round they're drafted in, right? Certain players like with the veterans we just talked about, we'll step in and it's their starting job and there's not really much room for them to lose it. But Darnell Wright, for example, a top 10 draft pick coming in as the presumed starter week one 
at right tackle, but does he enter OTAs getting the first reps at right tackle? Is he handed the starting job as a rookie before he has even played a single snap or practiced a single rep with the full veteran roster? He did practice at the rookie minicamp, but not with you know the full slate of veterans around him. Or do they truly make him, quote-unquote, earn it? I mean, he's going to get the job no matter what, but do they make him go through the formalities of, yeah, first day of OTAs, Larry Borum, is he is he getting the first team reps at right tackle or Alex Leatherwood? You know, one of the players who has been on the roster before, who was here last year and has played the position in this Bears offense. Does that player get first team reps and start OTAs as the starter? And Darnell Wright then has to sort of begin this process as the backup and quote unquote earn the starting job. And where does that, you know, how far down does that start going with with some of the other rookies, right? You think about the second round and the third round, Jervon Dexter and Zach Pickens come in as defensive tackles. Neither one of them is going to be the week one starter expected. Neither one is expected to be the week one starter at either the defensive tackle spots, right? Andrew Billings and Justin Jones will likely be your two starting defensive tackles at this stage of the process. Week one, still room, This it's up for grabs. They're competing, sure. But, you know, no one's handing these defensive tackles the starting job. Are they handed instantly then the number two job? Because you do have not not a lot of experience on the defensive tackle depth chart, but Jalen Holmes and Andrew Brown are both there who were on this roster last season. They were not major contributors, but they were on this roster. So do, do the second and third round picks come in ahead of more experienced players who are on the roster? Or, or do they start like third string and eventually sort of have to work their way up, right? I, it's... There's some different power dynamics here as far as what opportunities you give to what players. You know, Tyreek Stevenson, you know, is, he, is he a second string right away behind Jalen Johnson and Kendall Vildor and Kyler Gordon? Because you also have Jalen Jones and Josh Blackwell, who were, and Greg Stroman was here last year, Michael Ojemudia. Like, there are four other cornerbacks on this depth chart that were here last year and actually played significant snaps in at least one game, week 18. You saw a whole mess of cornerbacks in there. So do, do Tyreek Stevenson and Terrell Smith both start behind all those guys and truly have to work their way up from the bottom of the depth chart, which should happen quickly. And it's more like a formality at that point, or, you know, do the second round picks and the first round pick get a head start, but you know, the fifth round pick does not, you know, how does that work for Tyler Scott at wide receiver? You know, how far down the depth chart does he have to start? I would assume he'd be behind Velas Jones and Equinemius St. Brown, but is he behind Dante Pettis as well? I mean, there's, there's a lot of different room here for, where you put the rookies and where you draw the line on how far back you should let make them earn their way up versus handing them a certain amount of accepted trust and responsibility because of how large of a draft pick investment you made in them. And also recognizing that even right away, they're going to be more talented than many of the other players at their same position on your team's depth chart. So really interested to see what that looks like from a competition standpoint for especially the earlier drafted rookies and how much is truly handed their way. But they're also a few true like starting jobs up for grabs that I want to get into more specifically and look at the contenders and what the different dynamics might be that play out in those competitions next on Locked On Bears. The Locked On Bears podcast is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, America's number one sportsbook. It is your headquarters for NBA playoff action, if that's your cup of tea, as it looks like we're getting closer and closer to what will be a, what a Miami Heat Denver Nuggets NBA Finals, you can get odds on every playoff game there. 
Plus, you can bet on the baseball season. We're right in the thick of the Stanley Cup playoffs winding down pretty much every sport, including this upcoming football season futures for the Bears and different awards and regular season records and so much more. Right now, new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 with FanDuel. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win, all on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to download. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get the app and your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA and NFL. Two main starting positions are truly open up for grabs in OTAs. And there's a third one that is, but it isn't. And it's a little bit hard to sort of parse out what exactly that might look like. But I think I'm most interested in two spots in particular. That is the running back spot and the cornerback spot. Let's start an offense with what should be a really fun battle to watch throughout training camp and one that might not actually end up having like a, like it'll have a winner, but not like a clear cut, like true separation of the two between Donta Foreman and Khalil Herbert. Sure, certainly the rookie Roshan Johnson is going to be a part of that conversation. And sure, you can throw Travis Homer and Tristan Ebner in there at running back if you want. But really, it feels like this year, at least, it's it's Foreman and it's Khalil Herbert. Herbert comes in knowing the system, having that advantage and having, I think, the most efficient running back season of any running back in the NFL last season. Led all running backs in yards per attempt, had some really great explosive plays there and had you know a respectable 731 yards and four touchdowns. Like he was growing into his own, even despite being behind David Montgomery on the death chart and in carries. But then you've got Donta Foreman, who had his best season of his career last year with the Carolina Panthers when he was finally sort of given more of a, a prominent starting role. And he had 900 yards and five touchdowns and still averaged four and a half yards per carry and looked like a guy who can handle more of a true number one running back type role. And so... Both guys are a little bit style, style, stylistically different Foreman, a little bit bigger and a little bit more like short area quickness, a little bit more in the David Montgomery mold, not, not a one-to-one comparison. And Herbert, we know we have, we know has that explosiveness and that long speed to be able to break away and make some of these really fast, exciting plays down the sideline. We talked this offseason about how I felt like Khalil Herbert was ready to be the number one running back in Chicago before they signed Dante Foreman that you could have just find a nice like backup complement to Herbert that could be more of a passing game player because Herbert has struggled in that area. But alas, it's really going to be a tight battle between Foreman and Herbert. I think Roshan Johnson has starting potential. I don't know that it's fair to expect him to beat out two productive veterans right away this early in his Bears career, but he'll still be a part of this offensive you know, rotation at running back. And that's kind of the issue here, right? Is that no matter what, whether it's Foreman or Herbert, that it becomes number one running back on the depth chart, they're both going to get a significant number of carries. They're both going to be significant players in this offense. I mean, we saw last year, Herbert had 130 carries and David Montgomery had 201. I think Montgomery had a little bit of an injury in there here and there. He was banged up. I think he missed one game last season. Last year in, in Carolina, Dante Foreman had 203 carries. So basically last year in Carolina, Foreman was the lead back and had the same number of carries that David Montgomery had this past season in Chicago as a lead back. So you could sort of project that similarly where Herbert could play pretty much the same type of role in terms of volume of opportunities this year as he did last year. 
still have a very good productive season. And if he and Foreman produce exactly the same amount, you'd have 17 or 1600 yards between them at the running back spot. Plus Justin Fields rushing ability. Plus Roshan Johnson has the potential number three or Travis Homer in there, or even there's a chance Tristan Ebner can as well. So that one's really going to be fun to keep an eye on there. And then the other cornerback spot opposite Jalen Johnson is, is a fun one. We're going to assume by based on everything they've said that Kyler Gordon will play the slot pretty much full time at this point or be the primary slot option. And so that leaves Kindle Vildor, Tyreek Stevenson, and you can throw in Terrell Smith, the other rookie from Minnesota to compete for that other outside starting cornerback spot opposite Jalen Johnson. Sure. Jalen Jones is, is back from last season and Greg Stroman and, and Michael Ojemudia, who we, we talked about a little bit earlier, but it really feels like to me, mostly a two horse race between Vildor and Stevenson. Stevenson coming in well-regarded coming in with, with, a good floor and a decent ceiling ahead of him. A very good athlete who was pretty good one-on-one man-to-man locking down in coverage at Miami. Vildor always left you wanting a little bit more, but I mean, he was a fifth round pick and certainly has exceeded expectations as a fifth round pick. But we felt like for the last couple of seasons with him as a starter, that that's a spot you've wanted to upgrade. And the expectation is likely that Stevenson will surpass Vildor, but certainly Vildor will get the first reps, I, I think, and will be the starter to start OTAs right now. But it's on Stevenson to prove himself that he is, you know, the truly better, more consistent option for this team right now. But we saw Vildor from year one to year two to year three show significant improvement in each step of the process. And he's still only 25 years old and can continue to get better. And maybe he plays like an even better player this year and keeps Stevenson behind him on the bench. We can't rule out Terrell Smith as a dark horse candidate here. Another really good one-on-one outside man cornerback in college. Some pretty good physical tools there, but some, you know, still got to adjust to this Bears defense and some speed of the game questions when it comes to transitioning to the NFL. I think that one's pretty wide open between the three of them, and it wouldn't stun me. Certainly, Vildor and Stevenson are the favorites. I think Stevenson is likely to win, Vildor second, and Smith is clearly the dark horse of the three. But it's not out of the question that any of the three could start this upcoming season. But unlike running back, you should have one clear defined winner of this battle and not have a rotation of your starting outside cornerback. That's not a, not a very sound strategy defensively. When you have, you know what they say, when you have two cornerbacks, you don't have one is, is the saying for the quarterback position, but we'll apply it to cornerback here as well. You'll at least have good depth, no matter how that position shakes out. The other starting spot that gets thrown around a lot, but I, I don't know how much of a true competition it is. And I, it's a hard position right now to kind of evaluate based on how the Bears have handled things this offseason. But we'll talk about the center battle of sorts and some of the other key backup roles, key contributors that aren't starters, but are certainly fighting for important snaps on the Bears offense and defense next on Locked on Bears. I don't know where Cody Whitehair falls in this animal farm rule of, you know, all, all all animals are created equal, but some are more equal than others, right? Is Cody Whitehair as a, the, what, the, the oldest player on offense and maybe the oldest player on the roster as it stands right now at, at, at the senior age of 30 years old? I think he does turn 31 a little bit later in this offseason, but he's also the only offensive player age 30 or older right now. And I think there's no one else defensively who's 30 or older. I believe he is the oldest player under contract right now and one of the longest tenured Chicago Bears, if not the longest tenured Chicago Bear, left on this team right now. And so he's been a starter for a long time. He certainly handed the starting center position. Is it truly then an open competition with he and Lucas Patrick? 
behind him on the depth chart who the Bears signed last year to be their starting center. And we heard Luke Getze and Matt Eberflus and Ryan Poles rave about Lucas Patrick, about the leadership he was going to bring to the middle of this Bears offensive line, how much they valued him and saw him as a starting caliber player in their offensive line. We got like, what, a half a game out of him before injuries started rolling and then he came back later in the season but had to fill in at guard and played pretty well, but it wasn't like, you know, holy crap, he's so great, got to make sure he's in the starting lineup. It was like, okay, there's some there's some ups and downs and some inconsistency there. Finished with seven games, five total starts across multiple positions on this offensive line. He He has started games at center and seems to be at his best at center, so you can't say, like, he doesn't have a shot to start at center this season. But it's this weird situation where when the Bears signed Nate Davis and moved Whitehair into center and with Lucas Patrick here, there was some thought, would they cut Cody Whitehair and save the salary cap money on him? And I've said all along that, well, there's no reason to cut him now, but you could cut him in training camp. You know, when you go to cut down for the final 53-man roster, you could release Cody Whitehair then, save the same amount of cap space you would have earlier this year, if not more because it's a post-June 1st cut at that point. And start Lucas Patrick and be ready to go. But then how do you do that in terms of practice reps? Right? You can't take you can't spend all of OTA's mini camp and the and the training camp of the preseason making Cody Whitehair your starting center, working with Justin Fields the entire time, and then decide at the end, you know what, too expensive, too old, let's cut him and go with Lucas Patrick. So then I would think then that if Whitehair keeps being the starter at that position, and that's truly the plan with Tevin Jenkins at left guard. Nate Davis at right guard and Cody Whitehair at the center spot, like assuming that's the plan they stick with. That's what they've indicated the plan will be right now. Who knows? They could see, you know what? Sorry, Jenkins just isn't cut out for left guard right now. We'll move Cody Whitehair back to left guard, start Lucas Patrick and make Jenkins a backup again or whatever. I mean, it, there's there's other realms of possibility here. But as it stands right now, it, left to right should be Braxton Jones, Tevin Jenkins, Cody Whitehair, Nate Davis, Darnell Wright. And so you either got to stick with Cody Whitehair through it or make the swap early so Lucas Patrick can settle into that role and you feel like you can figure out what exactly you have at center. So then is that is that a roster battle? I I don't know, sort of. I mean, it, yes, it is in the sense that if Lucas Patrick just plays really, really well and Cody Whitehair struggles, they would bench him and they would start Lucas Patrick. Like it is open enough in that sense, but there's a certain expectation that Whitehair will play well enough at center. I think we... I think I've seen too many people glossing over the struggles he had at center earlier in his Bears career that he's played better at guard historically than he has at center. This is a new, a diff, very different offensive system, though. And so I, I think the jury's still out on. I don't think just because he struggled at center earlier in his career means he's going to struggle this year. But it's just as true that just because he played center earlier in his career doesn't mean he's going to be great at it right now this year either. There's still a question mark as to how good Cody Whitehair will be at center this season, but I don't. It feels less to me like a truly open competition and more like a, if Whitehair's good, he's good. And if he's bad, he's gone. And there's not really like an in-between. He's not going to stick around as a backup, certainly, when we when we talk about, you know, how, how true training camp battle. So that one is really interesting for me. A couple other key contributor positions I want to talk about for OTA battles. Wide receiver. We know it's DJ Moore, it's Darnell Mooney, it's Chase Claypool, one, two, and three. Mooney will probably play more slot, but will play on the outside too, but he's kind of your top slot guy. But wide receiver three, is it Tyler Scott? Is it Equinemius St. Brown? Is it Bayless Jones? I guess you can't rule out Dante Pettis in that, although he plays a little bit more of the slot type role too. So it's not a it's not an, an obvious sort of spot. And, Dar- and Tyler Scott, they've been working in the slot as well. So it's not so much like wide receiver three as it is like, how are they going to split up the wide receiver snaps? Because as I look at the depth chart right now, 
I think Darnell Mooney is your go-to slot option, and Scott's kind of your backup slot, but both guys can play outside and will line up outside sometimes. But if Mooney and Scott or whoever are in the slot, then on the outside, that's where you're going to see more of a priority for Equinemius St. Brown as a backup and Bayless Jones as a backup. They were both primarily outside guys this past season. But how do they end up splitting that, right? If Scott's sort of your go-to backup slot, but he can also play on the outside, like is he your fourth wide receiver, quote-unquote, on the depth chart? I, I said wide receiver three out loud a couple times earlier. I apologize. Wide receiver four. It's more Claypool and Mooney are your big three. Wide receiver four. Who's, who's wide receiver four in this offense? Feels like it should be Tyler Scott when it's all said and done. He seems to be the most talented of the of the backup options. Bayless Jones, you hope, can get better and reach more of the potential. He's got the, some of the physical tools, but it's not quite all there yet. Scott, certainly much more of a vertical receiver right now than a well-rounded wide receiver, so that might limit some of his opportunities or exactly how he's used. But it's not like Equinemius St. Brown and Dante Pettis are so good that they're going to keep you know Scott off the field. So... I'll be just be curious to see how they how they how much they put on Tyler Scott's plate and how much they're willing to put on Bayless Jones's plate and the even bigger picture like how many snaps are even there for that position you know are we just going to see more Mooney and Claypool ninety percent of the time and you only rotate any of those other guys in if somebody's tired or heaven forbid somebody is injured or you know are there certain packages for Bayless Jones and Tyler Scott but otherwise. I think hopefully you don't see much Equinemius St. Brown and Dante Pettis. That means your wide receiver core is doing very, very well without them ahead of that. And one last spot I want to throw in here that just is interesting because the NFL changed the rules on Monday. The, the competition committee or whatever at the owners meeting voted that now on game day, your number three quarterback, QB, will not count towards your roster limit of players who could be active on game day. They want teams to be able to have that emergency third quarterback and not have to decide, do I keep a third quarterback active or do I keep a fifth wide receiver or another special teams player? They're saying, screw it. The third quarterback, emergency third quarterback doesn't count towards your game day roster allocation. And there's an opportunity here for the rookie, the undrafted rookie free agent Tyson Bajent out of Shepard to compete with Nathan Peterman. I've given my Peterman rant a few different times on this podcast, nothing against the, the human being, Nathan Peterman. I'm sure he's a fine gentleman, a fine guy, but we know he's not a very good quarterback. It just, it's, we know what he is and he isn't. And I, so I don't, I would much rather have an undrafted rookie for agent with some upside, some sort of untapped potential. We don't know if Tyson Bajent will be any good. He, he might be terrible. We don't know, but we know Nathan Peterman won't be any good. We, you know, like we, and we, we know what he is. We don't know exactly what Tyson Bajent is. I saw Tyson Bajent at the senior bowl kind of looked like just a guy to me, but the senior bowl is kind of a tough spot, especially for a D is it an FCS at, at Shepard. I actually don't know how big of a jump that is, but it's a big, it's a big talent jump. I just don't know if it's D2 or FCS to go to the NFL and to go with D1 players and the senior bowl, you know, your brand new wide receivers, brand new offense, everything's changing all at once. And you got three days to show what you can do. Like, I'm not going to use that as my evaluation of Tyson Bajan, but some guys really th can shine, and he, he certainly did not in that role, but that doesn't mean he can't still do more with more time with Luke Etsy and with the Chicago Bears. So let's see Tyson Bajan versus Nathan Peterman, a real competition for quarterback three. That is a position that matters more now because it, it's a spot that's guaranteed to have an active game day roster spot because it doesn't count against your 46 players that you can have active each and every day. So curious to see what Bajan can do. I bet we're going to see a lot of Tyson Bajan in the preseason, and let's see what he's got. The kid from Shepard, at the very least, he's got a future on this practice squad as a long-term undrafted developmental quarterback prospect. And I'm glad they've got one in here because they should have had one last year, 
And it's good to have one at all times just to see if you can find some sort of diamond in the rough quarterback who even can just be a decent backup. That's still really good value at QB. We'd love to hear what you're expecting from these OTA battles, who you think will win, what other big questions and storylines you think still need to be answered this offseason. Let us know in the comments on the Locked on Bears YouTube channel. You can tweet us at Locked on Bears, or you can post in the Locked on Bears Facebook group to keep the conversation going there as well. However you do it, just make sure that you're subscribed to Locked on Bears on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's going to be the best way to keep up with all of our daily, in-depth Chicago Bears news and analysis. Thanks for making Locked On Bears your first listen today. If you're looking for a second listen, you want more Bears coverage from the Locked On Podcast Network, go check out the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Because on Monday's episode yesterday, Cal Krabs, Joe Marino, they've been going team by team, watching the film, breaking them down, looking at their roster from a team building perspective, top to bottom. They did the Chicago Bears yesterday. And I listened through that whole podcast. Really spot on. Not much I would disagree with there. I mean, a couple little nitpicky things here and there, maybe, but big picture, like, those guys get it. They understand this Bears roster. They've watched the film. They know these guys through and through, and it's a good talk. And so we're going to actually have Joe Marino from Lockdown NFL Scouting here on Lockdown Bears on Thursday, I think, is what we scheduled at this point to kind of get his perspective, get that outsider perspective on what's going on with this Bears team and a really smart football mind that I value. So... Make sure you're coming back to Lockdown Bears each and every day. You got to come back on Thursday for sure to hear us talking with Joe Marino. And of course, you got to come back for your next opportunity to bear down.